0: The start of a new year naturally causes one to pause and look forward. However, when it comes to trucking, the new year also has many wondering what the federal government, and especially the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, will do next. After all, last year there was a lot of talk about trucking regulations. Well, 2020 is already shaping up to be a year that FMCSA takes all this talk and turns it into action. Welcome to another installment of the Eyes on the Road podcast presented by PrePass Safety Alliance, the provider of PrePass waystation bypass and toll payment services. PrePass also includes informed software dashboards for improving safety scores and lowering toll-related costs. I'm Evan Lockridge, and thanks for joining us. If you've ever followed Uncle Sam's regulatory process, it seems to move at a glacial pace. A case in point, it was in 1985, during the Reagan administration, when the Federal Highway Administration, which had authority over trucking at the time, issued voluntary guidelines about training new truck drivers. Thirty-five years later, entry-level driver training regulations are finally set to take effect, but that's only one of a few trucking rules changes we're expecting this year. Joining me with the details about what's on the federal government's rather full trucking regulatory plate for 2020 and what you can expect from it is Warren Heyman. He's a former FMCSA deputy administrator, the number two position at the agency, and was acting administrator for a brief time. Today, he's a consultant for PrePass and joins me by phone. Warren, it's good to talk with you. How are you? Thanks Evan, doing very well. Well let's begin by talking about the expected changes to hours of service rules for truck drivers. In 2019, FMCSA laid out five key proposed changes to these regulations and has since taken public comments on them. What are the proposed changes Warren and what's expected to happen with hours of service rules in 2020?
1: Well Evan, let's start with the five proposed key changes. Number one, uh, retain the 30-minute rest break but increase driver flexibility by tying it to eight hours of driving time instead of eight hours of on-duty time. That extends the time, you will, that a driver can take that 30-minute rest break, and a driver could satisfy it by using on-duty, not-driving status, like fueling up the vehicle instead of being completely off-duty. The number two proposal to increase uh, flexibility for drivers is to modify the sleeper birth exception, which right now you can only split uh, your sleeper birth time uh, eight hours in and two hours out. They're proposing, FMCSA is proposing, to allow a split of at least seven hours in, so one hour less in and at least two hours out, with more flexibility as to how that is counted against your hours of service uh, rules. The third proposal is to allow truck drivers to take a single off-duty break, and that's completely off-duty, of at least 30 minutes and up to three hours, and that would pause the driver's 14-hour driving window. Now, the driver would still have to take 10 consecutive off-duty hours at the end of the work shift, but the idea here is to allow for disruptions in the driver's workday, like weather disruptions or traffic or extended detention times. Number four would be to modify the adverse driving conditions exception. Right now, drivers can extend their driving time of 11 hours up to 13 hours, add two hours under adverse conditions. But the problem has been that the 14 hour window would still close in many instances. FMCSA is proposing to allow it to be extended. And then the final fifth key change uh, relates to the short-haul exception. It would increase the driver's maximum on-duty time from 12 to 14 hours and extend the distance for the short-haul from 100 air miles to 150 air miles. If adopted, truck drivers would still have uh, you know, the maximum 14-hour workday and drivers utilizing this exception have to have a reporting mechanism back at the regular place of employment, like a time card that shows that they've uh, abided by these rules. But it would make short-haul exception uh, much more viable. Now, what will happen right now in in 2020, uh, these rules have already gone to OIRA, O-I-R-A, which is the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. That's an office within the Office of Management and Budget. It's a lot of government language in the executive branch. But OIRA reviews all proposals from every regulatory agency, and they look to say, have you met the procedural requirements, the legal requirements, but also have you really made sure that your numbers add up. They're really strict on that. And this is particularly true with the hours of service because hours of service has been deemed to be an economically significant rule, which gets much more scrutiny. It's economically significant because of its impact on society and moving goods across the country. You can imagine the impact. So, OIRA has that in hand. They're going to go back and forth with FMCSA. I truly do expect to see something come out in 2020 um, as a proposal, but when it does come out, I also truly expect, depending upon what it is, of course, but I really would say watch for litigation. There are groups that historically have challenged anything that would extend in any way uh, driver time on the road, so watch for that again.
0: Now, another big regulatory issue has to do with FMCSA's key safety program, Compliance, Safety, and Accountability, which many know simply as CSA. Now, it's faced criticism from trucking ever since it took effect in 2010, with some claiming it often paints an inaccurate picture of many trucking fleet safety performance. What's expected with CSA in the new year, Warren?
1: Well, FMCSA right now has taken under its wing something called the Item Response Theory, or IRT. IRT is a way of looking at big data that is used in education and in science, which was recommended to FMCSA by the National Academy of Sciences as a way to address the analysis of safety of motor carriers. This came about because, as you said, there was criticism of CSA. For example, not enough carriers had data in the CSA system, which only served to highlight those carriers which did. The data itself on fleet mileages and crashes were incomplete. And you may remember, non preventable accidents were included, which could truly skew the results of a safety analysis, particularly for small carriers that may only have a couple accidents. These difficulties and these weaknesses in CSA, although overall it was a good program, uh, caused Congress to say to the National Academy of Sciences, how do you fix this? And they recommended IRT item response theory. Theoretically, it works, but it requires a lot of data. And FMCSA is having trouble getting that data. The data that they have tried to get uh, in many instances was proprietary, such as driver wages or exactly what commodities carriers were, were handling and on what routes. And nobody wants to share that data because it's competitive. FMCSA has said they'll come out in September of 2020 with their decision on whether to move forward with IRT or not. And that will change uh, if they do CSA. CSA is kind of like a mirror. A carrier can look into it that is familiar with the with the process and say, I'm safe or I'm not. But if they change the way a carrier is looked at, uh, that reflection may be different. And some carriers may need to change. But we won't know until September of this coming year.
0: Well, what's been the reaction from trucking groups as well as truck safety groups about these possible changes to the CSA program?
1: So far, the reaction has been a little bit of confusion. Uh, In fact, FMCSA has has said it itself. Someone once said that, uh, you know, this is like building a new car. You can tell your automotive engineers what it should look like. That's the National Academy of Sciences. And they come up with this grand design. And then you can build a prototype, which FMCSA has actually done on the IRT and say does the prototype work. But when you go into mass production, when you have to do it for all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of carriers and drivers across the nation and apply it to them, it becomes very difficult. And the most difficult part of it is selling that car explaining to carriers and drivers exactly why they're being analyzed this way. So the reaction from most people has been confusion. What are we going to see? How are we going to explain it and understand it?
0: Now, a little earlier, I mentioned entry-level driver training, or what the FMCSA calls ELDT, not to be confused with ELDs, electronic logging devices. Now, originally, February 7th of 2020 was supposed to be a big date for ELDT rules, but those have gotten at least partially pulled back. Warren, what are the rules in a nutshell, and what's the status of them?
1: ELDT, entry-level driver training, has been proposed since 1985. Talk about government taking its time. But this administration has pushed forward a final version of training curriculum that would apply to anybody seeking a Class A or Class B uh, commercial driver's license or an upgrade to their CDL, for example, or a hazardous material endorsement, a passenger endorsement, a school bus endorsement. All of those would require a driver to go to a training provider that is regulated and registered with FMCSA and follow a curriculum that was set out. So it will be a pass-fail curriculum, essentially, 80% achievement on all the training is required and assessment of, of actual driving skills in a vehicle representative of what they're going to drive. All that is proposed to go into effect on February 7th, as you said, of 2020. But there's always this problem of how you communicate the information from the training provider to the state driver, driver licensing agency and to FMCSA that this has been accomplished and accomplished properly that requires computers to talk to each other and lo and behold private sector computers aren't necessarily talking well with state government computers which aren't necessarily talking well with fmcsa so part of that rule has been postponed that is the computer communication has been postponed till february 7th of 2022 in the meantime here you have all the training regulations still in place And you've had a lot of credible parties say to FMCSA, hey, just shove the whole rule off till 2022. FMCSA has not done that. So you may have the training provisions going in, again, for anybody seeking a Class A or Class B CDL or seeking an upgrade or various endorsements that they'll still have to get the training, but the communication that the training has occurred may not happen for two years.
0: Now, the first of 2020 also brought the opening of the FMCSA's long-discussed drug and alcohol clearinghouse. Warren, explain about the clearinghouse and what the regulations about it mean for both truck drivers and fleets. Well,
1: this is a very, very big change, and, and for many in the trucking industry, it is a very welcome change. Going back historically, since 1991, in fact, Carriers have been required uh, when they're going through the hiring process to ask previous employers, previous uh, trucking companies about the drug tests, about any failures of drug tests or refusals to take a drug test or any reports of drug and alcohol violations on the job. Uh, they got, got to go back and check for three years of, of previous employment. Well, this was a very difficult process for both the carriers and the driver applicants. It was difficult for the carriers because oftentimes those previous employers were out of business or they just didn't respond. It was difficult for the driver applicants because they're kind of in limbo this whole time saying is something going to turn up or not even though I say I've been clean for many years the industry and those involved in uh trying to report these violations have said let's have a repository for all the drug and alcohol violations that is what the clearinghouse is all about it will require registration by all interstate and intrastate motor carriers employing CDL drivers by all third-party administrators, such as those who are uh, doing a drug testing pool for owner-operators, and by all medical review officers and substance abuse professionals. Registration is open right now. Uh, there's no cost to register for them. Then those entities, the carriers, the MROs, etc., must report all drug and alcohol violations and refusals to take a test to the clearinghouse. Now, it's gonna take some time to build up the clearinghouse repository. Ultimately, there'll be five years worth of violations in that repository. Right now, there aren't any. So that means there are reports that are coming in from carriers and MROs and substance abuse professionals will create the database that, that carriers will be looking at in the future. So one of the things carriers have to remember is that even though the clearinghouse is going into effect, they're still going to have to make inquiries to past employers for the, you know, the next three years to help build up that database. Now, drivers aren't required to register. They can, and it may be in their interest to do so because they can see their own information and they can request and challenge any inaccuracies in their own information. After the clearinghouse goes into effect, Carriers will have to continue to test incoming driver applicants, and they must also, of course, uh, under the random testing basis that is already in effect, uh, test existing uh, drivers and report those results to the clearinghouse. Ultimately, uh, the goal is, and what should be achieved, is that no matter where a driver has been licensed, uh, no matter where that driver has lived, Uh, No matter who that driver has worked for in the past, the information is going to be in there to help keep off the road those drivers who are not legally allowed to drive because they have a drug or alcohol history.
0: And by the way, that clearinghouse officially opened on Monday, January 6th. Now, Warren, another item taking effect will be on October 1st. It's called Real ID. It's not from FMCSA, but rather the Department of Homeland Security. But it's going to have a big effect on some truck drivers, I understand. What is Real ID and what's going to happen?
1: Well, Rio ID came about after the attack on the United States uh, by al-Qaeda terrorists on September 11, 2001. And the al-Qaeda terrorists took advantage of weaknesses and state driver license requirements. So the 9-11 Commission set standards on the sources of identification such as driver licenses. And it's been extended many times, but the final due date for all uh, United States and territories uh, to come into compliance is this coming October 1, 2020, that all states and territories must offer uh, state driver licenses that meet higher uh, security standards. It's called a real ID. Anybody who wants to get the real ID must go to his or her state driver license agency in person and meet the requirements there and provide information which uh, is readily available on your state driver license agency website. Proof of identity and date of birth and legal presence in the U.S., proof of a social security number and two proofs of actual residency in that state. Now, the real ID come October 1 will be necessary to board any commercial aircraft. It'll be necessary to access any nuclear facility, and it will be necessary to enter any federal facility or building uh, if you're there on business. There are other ways, other forms of identification truck drivers may want. For example, there is the TWIC program, the Transportation Workers Identification Credential which is already established and is necessary to enter any of the ports. There is the enhanced driver's license, which is useful for crossing international borders and is offered by states along our borders. Um, uh, it's kind of a real ID, except it's focused on international travel uh, and by truck drivers. And anytime you want to go into a military facility uh, in particular, Always check in advance because military facilities are continually adjusting their security requirements. And the real ID uh, will be part of that, but may not be all you need.
0: Now, Warren, you and I have discussed several different sets of rules, but as they say, that's not all. The reason I say this, I was looking earlier at the most recent unified agenda of regulatory and deregulatory actions from the White House Office of Management and Budget. Now, in this twice yearly published rundown, Of regulatory actions taking place across all federal departments and agencies. There are several from the transportation department and of course FMCSA that are there meaning that either in 2020 or later we can expect some other new rules affecting trucking. Warren, what are the most important of these?
1: Well one of the positive things that has come out in this past year as FMCSA went through their review of the compliance safety and accountability CSA program Uh, which they're still doing, as we talked earlier, one of the positive things is that they looked at the fact that non-preventable crashes were included in the safety analysis of carriers. Well, FMCSA went through uh, an initial rulemaking evaluating eight different categories of crashes, which were probably non-preventable. The review of these eight different categories uh, was rather positive. 93% of the crashes submitted during uh, that review were deemed non-preventable. So FMCSA has extended it to another eight categories for review, and I expect in 2020 we will see a positive outcome listing for carriers and drivers saying, These types of crashes will not be held against you in your safety analysis. Another big one is that FMCSA is increasing the random drug testing rate to 50%. That is, carriers must test uh, on a random basis at least 50% of their drivers in a year Or similarly, a third-party administrator must have 50% of its driver pool, such as owner-operators, tested in a given year. And it's because for the year 2018, unfortunately, um, drug testing positive results ticked up above 1%, and by law, that triggered an increase back up to 50% of the testing rate. Now, we're going to see more drug testing news in 2020. The agency uh, in the Department of Health and Human Services, and I won't go through the acronym, but there's an agency there that sets the drug testing standards for all federal regulatory agencies, such as FMCSA. They have just announced uh, guidelines on drug testing using oral fluids. Right now, everything's done by urinalysis but to take a swab let's say of, of somebody's saliva is both non-invasive it can be done in public rather than in private and it can allow easy testing at the roadside you know after an accident they've announced those guidelines but there's a further step to be taken fmcsa will have to go through a rulemaking itself to adopt those guidelines for oral fluids now that's not all on the drug testing news <laughs> random rate has gone up oral fluids is coming and then finally the same agency which sets federal drug testing standards has said they have finally concluded proper standards for hair testing several carriers currently use hair testing but they have to use it in addition to your analysis because the hair testing doesn't have federal standards yet now it will in this coming year and the reason for hair testing is hair keeps residue of drugs for a longer period of time than does urine or oral fluids. So carriers have used that in the past to, let's say, find the lifestyle drug users uh, who have come clean when it's time for testing uh, by urinalysis, but hair holds that for a longer period of time and they can't avoid it that way. Those hair testing standards will be coming out in 2020 from this federal regulatory agency that does drug testing standards, FMCSA, when they come out, will have to go through its own rulemaking again. So three big things on drug testing. The random rate's gone up to 50%. That's a given. Secondly, oral fluids will in all likelihood become a, an FMCSA uh, rulemaking next year. And the third thing we'll probably see uh, sometime later in the year testing standards, again, by
0: rulemaking from FMCSA. That is Warren Heyman keeping his eyes on trucking regulations and how they're changing. Warren, thanks very much.
1: Good to be with you, Evan.
0: And this one quick note before we go, drop us an email. We'd like to hear from you about your podcast topic suggestions, comments, or whatever else. The address is podcast at prepass.com. This has been Eyes on the Road presented by PrePass Safety Alliance. I'm Evan Lockridge. Thank you for listening to this slightly longer-than-usual episode. And remember, keep your eyes on the road.